0: All right, we are going to get rolling. Um, So, uh, my name is Ross Sobloska. We are going to be talking about uh, some more about prayer and looking into the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Um, So, we have been going through the Lord's Prayer and looking at how Jesus has taught his disciples to pray. We talked about how it starts with this intimate relationship uh, with uh, God as both the Father, this intimate uh, way that we get to come and talk to him, and that he is also distant in a sense that he is all-powerful. And so that should give us courage that he will answer those prayers because he is all-powerful. Um, and we went in and talked further. Let me flip to the passage. So we might talking. Uh, and then we went further and talked about uh, how his kingdom has come. And that should be an encouragement to us. Uh, and that his will is done. That we are also submitting to his will uh, through prayer. Uh, We talked about the idea that it says, give us this daily bread, that prayer is meant to be communal. We'll talk more about that today. Uh, And that God uh, asks for us to pray for the daily things, the the small things that we need, um, but also to pray for others in our community as well. And then we talked last week about the idea of forgiving us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Um, That forgiveness, if we want forgiveness, we are called to forgive others as well. And so today we are in Matthew chapter six verse thirteen, and we, I'm going to read that, and then we'll get into our discussion of that today. So Matthew six chapter or chapter six verse thirteen says, "And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil." So on my part of this, we're going to take that first chunk of "lead us not into temptation" and discuss what those different words mean, what Jesus is saying here. So the first thing uh, is, what do you mean by temptation? Uh, I think this confuses a lot of people because our English is very limited in what word they're using here. Uh, but it actually it has two possible translations. Uh, so temptation here could be temptation, but more likely in this context, I think the word they're using is testing. Lead us not into testing. That's a very different thing. Uh, and the Bible will distinguish these two terms in very different ways. Uh, so for example, the idea of testing, this is our big overarching theme, by the way. The testing that God allows brings about what's good in us to the surface. Temptation brings out the worst in us to the surface. So just keep that in the back of your head. That's kind of the, the basis, uh, the thesis of what I'm going to say, basically. Okay. So temptation is designed for the internal struggle and brings about our destruction. Testing is about the circumstances we're placed in. And it's designed to reveal the truth of who we really are and bring out the best in us. And so, uh, when I think about this word testing, uh, as a teacher especially, it's frustrating because, you know, how many of us at the school dreaded testing, <laughs> right, as a horrible thing? When in reality, the, the idea of testing is not to reveal how bad you are at a subject or how little you know, but it's supposed to be revealing what's good, what all your good qualities. Uh, And so maybe that's a a note for education. Maybe we should, you know, highlight the things kids got right. Say, look at all the things you did well instead of all the things you did wrong. But uh, so looking at uh, scripture, then we think about testing um, that it leads to good things that is designed to reveal who we really are. In James chapter one, uh, the uh, author talks about this a little bit more. Uh, In verses 2 and 3, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials or testing of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Testing is good because it reveals who we really are, reveals uh, how much we love God. Um, But God's testing is different from Satan's temptation, right? It's something that is leading us to destruction. So when we give into that sin nature during temptation, it actually damages our growth. And then the author in James continues and he addresses this. So in James 1, chapter, or verse 13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and is enticed by his own desires. Right? It's not God that's doing the tempting. God allows testing because it's for good. But tempting is our own internal struggle with our sin nature. So again, this big idea, testing brings out the best in us. Temptation brings out the worst in us. <laughs> right? So what example I thought of uh, when I was uh, studying for this, there's a famous psychology experiment uh, by Stanley Milgram in 1961 called the shock experiment. And the basic idea is you have three people in this test. Um, You have the first person uh, who is uh, an actor. Uh, You have another person who is the subject, who's really the test is about. And this person's told, uh, we are doing a memory test. And uh, so this person uh, is going to be given a series of words to remember. And uh, they're going to recite them back to you. If they get it wrong, you're going to deliver a shock to try and trigger their brain to better remember the information uh, every time they get it wrong. And the intensity of the shocks will increase every time they get it wrong. And so this person's an actor. They're not really getting shocked. They're in another room, uh, but they can hear the noise from the other room. And so the question they're asking is, will this person continue to deliver shocks even after this person is screaming in pain Uh, Because they were told to do so by the experimenter who is watching this whole thing happen. So that is the test. And so the testing of it, if we're using this metaphor, is the circumstance. There's an opportunity to show the goodness of humanity that they wouldn't deliver shocks in that situation. The temptation is the internal struggle. Do I do the right thing or do I follow what I'm being told by this experimenter? See the testing is the circumstances, the temptation is the internal struggle, right? God allows the circumstances, but the temptation is our own sin desire or sin nature inside of us. So we are going to look at three different examples uh, of testing and kind of figure out what we can learn from those things. So our overarching uh, text that we're going to look at first is from the story uh, in Exodus and Deuteronomy about Moses and the Israelites, that they are leaving Egypt after being in years of slavery, and God calls this a time of testing. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, uh, it says, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the, in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Right? Why is there testing? That they would know to even know what was in their hearts, to reveal what was good inside of them. Okay, So, go to the next. Go ahead and go to the next one. So, we are going to break into three groups. It might be kind of small groups today, and that's okay. Um, But each group is going to take one of these texts. What I want you to read is what the test is, what you think they were supposed to learn from it, and how they did. Okay, So, God says, this is a time of testing. We're going to look at these tests and see how they did and what happened during this test, okay? So what is the best way to break into three groups here? Like these two rows, maybe, uh, I don't know, and then back there. and organize that, you're, you in- <laughs> Three groups. Three groups, go. Okay, so up here, you're gonna do the test number one, and then middle, test number two, and back, test number three. So what happened? What were they supposed to learn? How did they do? All right, we're going to bring it back. What I'd like is for each group to kind of have a spokesperson or somebody who's brave or, or whatever uh, to share and answer these two questions. So first of all, what happened? How were they tested? And then did they pass? Or did how did they do, basically? Okay? Uh, so group one, go ahead and share your thoughts.
1: Uh, so the, uh, test was when they, um, they were given manna um, in Exodus for bread. Um, and they... <laughs> um, and, uh, they were given all these instructions, and the big part of the test was that they could take no more than a day's portion. And then after that, it would go bad. Um, and, uh, And then, of course, they failed the test because they did the thing (laughs) that God said not to do. And then God keeps his promises, so, you know, it did go bad. And then um, our group kind of decided that the heart of this test, it was a faith test, of do you have enough faith to believe that God's going to provide that daily bread for you um, and not try to work or rely upon your own strength. And the context, of course, is that they were complaining about uh, getting out of slavery because they wanted to go back to Egypt, to where like, well, at least we had food in Egypt, even though they were in slavery. Um, so that's where that context and test comes from.
0: Right, yeah, uh, perfect. So right, they have this instance with the manna, and they're gathering it daily, And some of them say, well, why can't I just store it up for the next day? And so kind of the test here is, do you trust that God's going to provide every single day? Um, So at the end of all of this, uh, Moses has a uh, farewell address, if you will. That's basically what the book of Deuteronomy is. And he's giving kind of his last thoughts before he's about to die. And so we see him reference all of these tests. So we're going to look at that as we talk about each of these examples. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, he references this test in verse 3. It says, he humbled you and let you hunger, and then he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might, and so why, right, why the testing, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Right, that's the lesson they were supposed to get. They didn't, they messed up. They thought they knew everything. They didn't trust the words of God. And so the lesson is, sustain yourself on God's word every single day that he will provide for you all right all right number two group two tell us about your test and then what happened how they did
2: Don't stone the leader. Right. So um, so they didn't they didn't um, pass
1: that test. Uh, they just grumped they just scrambled and um go about it the right way asking asking God well for what they needed. And um, he, he still provided what they needed and um very full again
0: so. Okay. great. So test number two is the rock water that comes from the rock. So they're, they're thirsty now. So they, God's already provided food, right? Now they're thirsty, and yet they don't remember that. And so they complain, and they demand water, else they're going to kill Moses. Uh, and so God tells Moses, I'll take this one. Go and take your staff and strike the rock, and water will come out of it, right? Um, which, as a sidebar, is a beautiful picture, because it's almost as if, like, it's this foreshadowing of jesus's sacrifice like god's saying go and hit the rock i'll take this one because the rock is uh the mountain where the ten commandments are going to come from it's the same mountain and so it's this picture of them striking the symbol of god and then water pouring out uh, to save them um, but so we continue in deuteronomy right moses is thinking about these lessons that they were supposed to have learned and now we're in deuteronomy six uh, it says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. As you tested him at Massah, which is this place where water came out, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. Right. The lesson here is trust in the promises and commandments of God. If he provided bread, he's going to provide water. Do you trust his character that he's going to do what he said he will do? All right? Alright, test number three. This one's harder uh, because it's not as, like, it's a future test, more or less. So, uh, group three, somebody share what that one was about. So, in Exodus chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, basically, God is telling the people that it's going to be good, He's going to put them in a So basically at the end, we're saying that the test is, hey, will you still trust God and worship God even when things times are good or if you just early there crying to God when you need right. Him? Will they cry again when they Yeah. So in this part, Moses is promising that, look, you're going to be going to this land where everything's going to be good. You're going to have vineyards that are already planted, cities you didn't build. Uh, everything will be prepared for you. Will you still trust me when things are good? And I think that's a much harder test. And when things are bad, I think we often will cry out to God for help. But God's saying, will you trust me when you have everything? Will you still call on me as your God? Um, so there's not a, one specific example where they mess this up. It's kind of the rest of the history of the Old Testament. Uh, so I just picked one. Uh, so Judges chapter 2, it's the, uh, in verse 11 there. So the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, which were the local gods. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. So they fail this one too, right? Zero for three. Uh, They do not pass these tests that should reveal who they really are. Right, that they truly love the Lord and trust in his commandments and will follow him when it's hard and when life is good. So here's the cool part. There's another example of testing or temptation, depending on how you look at it, and that's through Jesus. So we're going to look at these three examples and talk about what they can teach us. All right, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, if you want to look at that. We'll kind of stay there for a little bit. All right, so Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Right? So we said, why was Jesus in this situation? Right? The circumstances are he was being tempted by the devil. Right. There's more of a negative implication here that it's going to lead to his destruction if he does not pass these tests. Uh, And it's also cool that it's in the wilderness for 40 days versus the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years. Like, there's a direct connection between these two moments. So, the first test for Jesus is almost the same test for the Israelites, right? It's Matthew 4, verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So, what is this test really about? Right? Is it about Jesus' power, his ability to turn rocks to bread? Now, the test is, do you trust God enough to sustain you every day with bread? It's the same test the Israelites had to deal with. And Jesus' answer is perfect because he learned the lesson the Israelites failed to learn. Matthew 4, verse 4, but he answered, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting Deuteronomy, Moses' lesson to them after they failed that test. Right? He is proving he understands the test and has passed it. He is living on the word of God by quoting it to Satan in that moment. All right, Test number 2 verses 5 and 6 Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Right, so Satan here is quoting scripture out of context to test him. Do you really know the words of God well? It's Psalm 91, in case you're interested, that he's pulling out of context. So what is this test really about, right? Do you trust God's commandments, right? He uses the word command. He will command his angels concerning you. Do you know the commands of God, and do you trust that he will follow them? And so Jesus' response in verse 7, again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Right? That is the same one from Deuteronomy where Moses is talking about the water coming out of the rock. He is passing that test where Israel failed. All right, test number 3, God's way or the world's way. In verse 8 in Matthew, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to these, said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. So what is this test really about? Right? The third one is will you trust will you still trust me when things are good? Right? If I gave you everything, would you still serve God or would you serve the false gods that are going to be in this land? Right? Will you follow God or fall to the world? So Jesus responds and passes the test in verse 10: Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God. And him only shall you serve. Right? So what we see here is God allows testing for our benefit, for good. Right? But especially here, God allows testing in the Old Testament so that we can be prepared for Satan's tempting in the future. Right? Jesus passes these tests because he's Jesus, but also in part because we had a chance to see people fail in testing. Even when we fail at testing, Jesus will redeem us in the future. I think that's amazing. So all of this to say, how does this apply to prayer? That's what this comes back to in Matthew 6. Lead us not into temptation or testing. So testing refines us and reveals the truth about us. So it's something that, it's kind of a fine line of, Not wanting that, right? That's what Jesus is saying, lead us not into testing, but that there is value in it, and you're going to experience it, right? It is an inevitability that there is going to be this time of testing. And in fact, God refers to times of testing as a honeymoon. If you look at Jeremiah 2, verse 2, it's described as, You led me like a bride, or I led you like a bride into the desert. Right? It's because they, were so, they had to rely on God, and so God sees testing as a honeymoon, and that's the picture that's provided in the Old Testament. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you will face these times of testing. Uh, the theologian C.S. Lewis wrote that um, the only people who don't face testing or temptation are people who have already given in to temptation. Um, we never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it and Christ because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. Right, if you give into it every time, you're not really learning to face temptation. It's the struggle against it that teaches us how to stand up to it. And so the connection to prayer then is it's going to be hard and we're all going to go through it. But I think the key to it is the us. Lead us not into temptation. Right? We need a community of prayer to get through temptation and testing. Our heart's desire should be to avoid that trouble that sin creates. And we need reminders from our community of how to do that. Uh, one of the best examples we see of that is right before uh, Jesus is uh, going to be crucified. He tells Peter that he will deny him right and peter says no i'll never deny you and Jesus' response in matthew 26 verse 41 is watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak and matthew sets this up beautifully because what happens next is peter falls asleep right and he's not watching and praying and then the next part of the story is peter denying jesus Right? He's showing us that you have to be in a prayer in community if you were to go through testing and temptation and to come through it on the other side. Mm-hmm. So we need other people to help us be accountable and to be praying for us. So we're going to take some time and do kind of a journal or if you want to talk with other people as well. Um, the question I want us to think about, be journaling, be discussing, what are the weaknesses where you are at risk of being led into temptation? Those things that... Uh, you know are pulls for you, that you need community behind you. And then how can Jesus and the church help you overcome those things? All right, so take a couple minutes, journal, discuss your thoughts on that. All right, well, um,
2: Ross, thanks for thanks for that. That was, uh, again, I'm always just like, it's just so cool to sit back and actually get to look at our church body and say, hey, there's other people that got us gifted to be able to teach the word and like it's just so cool to to see that and to be able to be a part and and be able to even learn with everybody this morning and so um so yeah the the first part of that prayer is is so so important Uh, lead us not into temptation it's this it's this prayer uh like ross was saying it's this prayer that that we wouldn't go into temptation and if we do that god you're going to be there with us right And, and the value of us together going through that and that we pray for one another as we enter into seasons of, of testing or temptation, and we encourage one another. Um, I think one of the things to to, to remember too is that the season of testing or temptation is is not necessarily mean that we're in sin, right? It doesn't necessarily mean sin just because we're we're tempted or we're tested by something. It's it's when we give in to that is we're really when we fall into the area of sin. And I think that's the the last part of this uh, of this of this verse that Jesus is teaching them is is Lord lead us, be with us when we go through seasons of testing and temptation because Jesus knew that we would. He went through seasons of testing, and so He's saying, Father, be with them in the same way that You were with me as as they go through this. Right? We 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 we're just asking that God would would be with us and lead us in those times that we're in temptation. But Jesus also noticed, knew that we would also have moments that we would fall into that temptation. We would give in to that test. We wouldn't pass the test, right? Just like the Israelites, we would fail the test. And I think if we're really honest, like we, we've all been in that moment multiple times probably in our lives that we've failed the test, right? That we've given in to the temptation, that we didn't hold our tongue or we didn't, uh, whatever it was, we, we, we didn't pass the test. And there's certain seasons and times in our life that, that we fall into just a into part of our life of just continuing to give over to sin. And I think those are the moments then that Jesus is teaching us, though, when we're in that, deliver us out of that. God, we need your help. We need you to deliver us out of that. Uh, I think it's interesting uh, in, in the book of James, uh, chapter 1, verse 14, James teaches us how this, how this looks for us when we're tempted, when we're tested. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, right? So we're tempted when there's something that, that will pull us in. And the thing, the thing about our own desires is that, like, they're different for all of us, right? There's some of us in this room that are going to be tempted by one sin or, or, or drawn in by one sin. And, and, and maybe for the person sitting right beside you, like, that's probably not going to be the area that you're going to be tested or pulled in by. For you, it's going to be something else, but we all have those things. We all have those things in our life that we're tempted by, and we're lured, and we're pulled into, right? But yet, when we're when we're tempted and we're lured by that, the sin hasn't happened yet, right? This is just this is the point where we're making that decision. This is where we're being tested. Are we going to give in to that, or are we going to overcome that? But he goes on. He says in verse fifteen. But then, when that desire, uh, when it has been conceived and gives birth. To sin right when we actually give in to that desire when we don't just say you know what this is not honoring to God this is not what God's word has taught me to do but yet we go into it we give into it right when when it's conceived it, it births sin out of that And when sin is fully grown then we know that that is what leads to death <coughs> so those moments when we get pulled into sin when we when we give in to the testing or we, or, 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 or maybe there's a temptation in our life when we get into that we don't pass the test and we don't and we don't follow the opportunity God has given to us to overcome those things. Jesus teaches us to cry out for deliverance. Deliver us from evil. I think it's pretty interesting this word deliver here. It literally means to draw or to snatch someone from danger. It's it's the picture of a soldier, right, that, that's running into the middle of a battlefield. He's carrying off a wounded comrade to safety. I think this is the picture that that Jesus is, is painting for us, is that, is that when we are in the battlefield and, 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 and we're, we're, just, we're wounded by sin, we give in to that moment, right? It's, we're throwing up this prayer of God, rescue me out of this. It's also interesting that the word here for deliver, um, it's, it's in what's called an aorist uh, imperative, which which probably means nothing to you, and that's okay. Um, but but what it means is that this is an urgent call of desperation, mm-hmm. right? This isn't just Lord, deliver me, but this is like Lord, deliver me. Like if you don't come through in this moment, I can't do this on my own. Like you have to do it for me. I don't have the strength to do it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a desperate call for us, calling out to our heavenly Father to reach down and to to pull us out of the sin that we're stuck into. Now, I don't know about you but, but I certainly have had those moments in my life right where where something started out as just a maybe a test or something and, and, and gave into it, and gave into it and gave into it and gave into it and gave into it to the point that now giving into it became my norm in my life. you ever been there like you ever had that moment that season and it seemed like it seems like you get to a point where not doing that sin, not doing that temptation is actually harder. And it seems impossible, right? And there's things in this life that we get pulled into, and they seem so impossible, but there's no way out. And that's the moment that Jesus says, "You know what? Just just call out an urgent desperation." I'm reminding of the reminded of Hebrews chapter four, verse sixteen, where it says, "Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of God, that we may have received mercy and find grace to help in times of need." Like like there are those moments in our lives that we just call out to God, and we need God to come and to meet us right where we're at in the midst of whatever it is that we're going through. So the call is, Lord, deliver us, right? Deliver us from what? Deliver us from evil. And this word evil here, it, 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 it means simply to labor, sorrow, pain, right? But what's interesting here is in, in the Greek, right, in, in, in the original language, uh, it has a definite article in front of it. Which means that it's a specific something that it's referring to. And theologians have kind of like argued over and over again of, of what does this really mean. And really the, the consensus has kind of come up with, with three different areas that this can mean. Um, and so I want us just to talk about that. What, what exactly does Jesus mean when he says, deliver us from evil? Well, the first could just be simply our, our evil hearts. Our fleshly hearts. Even though, yes, we may put our, heart, our trust in Jesus... There's still flesh that we live in. And we're still going to struggle. We're still going to struggle in this life with things. And so is it just our, our evil desires that he's talking about? Like maybe in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 where it says, Take care then, brothers, lest uh, there be in, in any of you any evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Right? We know that within our hearts that even though we may be Uh, god's children that there's times that we can that we can that we can run away from that or we can we can for a season right fall into sin and and let our our flesh take over i love i love how augustine said it he said lord deliver me from myself Mm -hmm. see sometimes our greatest enemy can just be ourselves right Mm -hmm. our own sin our own things that we fall into we call out for god to save us from that from our sin see sin is is this vile monster that happens in our life and i think sometimes what we do in in church a lot of times is we we kind of turn it into this cute little puppy right and we take sin and we say you know what oh it's it's not that big of a deal it's it's, it's okay, everybody's doing it, and we, we start to coddle it, and, and we start to look at it, and we start to see it as this thing that is, is not nearly as vicious and vile as it really is. And I just wonder today, like, if, if we really view sin in the way that God views it, right? Do we really see sin for, for the ugliness that Scripture calls it, right? Scripture's pretty clear, right? Scripture's pretty clear in multiple places it talks about sin, 2 Peter chapter 2, says it, it refers to it as the vomit of dogs. Right? I mean, think about that for a minute. Right? Is that how you view sin? Is that how you view that thing in your life that that, that we kind of just keep making excuses for? So I think if we refer to it as the vomit of dogs, I don't know that we would be as, as quick to run back to that thing. But yeah, that's what Scripture says we do. It's uh, also referred to as... Um and Isaiah as a as a cloth, as a as a ministration cloth, like a like this just this filthy cloth, right? Do we do we view sin in this in this in this filthy kind of way that it's that it's gonna defile us and it's gonna keep us from being who God wants us to be. In first Kings it's referred to as a plague. In Second Timothy it's referred to as gangrene, this infection that will just get in there and eat away at your flesh until it destroys you right is that really how we view sin do we view it as evil because at its basic nature sin is evil it's a transgression against god it's treason against heaven literally in the hebrew the word for sin it means rebellion it's thinking that that i know better than god it's thinking that my way is is better than god and do we really view it that way we cry out for help or do we really see the sin in our life do we really hate the sin that's in our life thomas watson uh he was a he was a um was a theologian way way back in the day and, and i love what he said um as i was studying over that this this week he said there's more evil in a drop of sin than in a sea of affliction took me a minute to kind of grasp what he was saying i had to read he just wrote this long long article about this it was like 25 pages just about this one idea but essentially here's what he's saying he's he says that in our life most of the time we view affliction pain that we go through as the worst possible thing in our life but what he says is that there's more evil in a drop of our sin than in a whole sea of pain and suffering and affliction but yet, from our perspective in our life so many, so many times, we just pray, right? We pray and we say, God, keep us from what? Right? Do we pray and say, God, keep us from sin? Or do we say, God, keep us from going through really hard things? Because I know in my life, that's my prayer. If I'm worried about somebody, right? My prayer is that, God, you would protect them because I don't want to deal with what that's going to mean if it doesn't turn out all right. Right? If if, if we go through something hard and it seems scary, do we pray God that this wouldn't lead me into sin, or do we pray, pray God, don't let me go through this pain?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So you don't think we view sin as the, as the, as the, as the, as the, the, evil monster that it truly is in our life? A few things to just keep in mind, right, because we look at our as a, as we look at our perspective. Um, sin a lot of times is the reason for the pain that we experience in our lives. A lot of the reason that we go through the, some of the pain that we have in our lives is sometimes because of sin. God also uses affliction a lot of times in our lives, hard things that we go through to grow us. He doesn't use sin to do that, but He'll use those hard times. Afflictions, most of the time, only affect the individual, but sin often affects other people. Right? I mean, think about how many stories we've heard in churches where. Someone, one of the leaders in the church, fell into sin. And it not just affected that one person, but it affected the entire church body. Right? I mean, think about it. Typically, when somebody goes through a hard time and and there's affliction and pain they're going through, it usually is just to that individual. Yet sin affects others. Affliction uh, only affects the body, where sin can affect the body and the soul. Affliction will only last in this lifetime, but sin can carry on to the next if it's not addressed. and yet we don't view sin as awful as it is. And so those moments, right, those moments in our life that, that we fall into those into those sins, uh, those moments that we that we walk into those sins, probably fall into sin is probably not a good phrase, right? It's not like we're just, like, blindsided, like, we <laughs> oh, we didn't know that I shouldn't be doing that, right? Like, it's like there's really bad criminals, you know, that's like, no, officer, I didn't realize that I shouldn't rob a bank. Like, no one told me that was a bad thing right like i think that's our approach to sin a lot of times um but we 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 know right when we walk into sin we know the evil that's there and yet do we hate that in our lives when we fall into that are we asking god to deliver us out of that are we asking that god would would create in us a heart that would just hate those sinful things even more than going through pain we would hate when we have sin in our life and i'll be honest like like, this was a really big conviction in my life this week. It was one of those moments that you start reading through something and you're like, man, I'm going to have to do something about this. Like, this is going to be really, really hard, but I'm going to have to do something about this. Because if, if, if what Scripture says is true about sin and the way that I should look at sin is, is vomit and is disease and this horrible thing, then i got to stop just saying that it's okay and start coming up with excuses for my sin. And I got to start really hating it. And I think when you really start to hate something, you actually start doing things in your life to keep you from doing it. You know, um, I've had have had the I've had the experience. I won't say the pleasure. I've had the experience of walking with a lot of guys uh, through through a particular struggle of pornography um, over the last couple of years. Um, and and it's just it's one of those things. It's one of those things that we don't talk about in the church. Um, it's one of those things that's kind of um, taboo to talk about in certain circles, but it's something that is destroying our culture. It's not just guys anymore, by the way, either. The statistics, it used to be like overwhelmingly it was a guy thing, but it's actually almost to the point where women are struggling just as much as men are. And as I've walked through that, that struggle and that temptation and that, and that sin and that testing with guys over and over again, it's not until a guy gets to the point that he hates the sin. And he no, and he sees it as filthy garbage. It's not until he gets to that point that he actually starts to see victory in that. And I think it's the same way with whatever sin it is that we're struggling with. Until we get to the point of hating it and not and not standing it, are we are we gonna be able to move past it? And so and so one of the things that they say is that it could be our, our sinful flesh. That that's possible. Um the, uh, another option that this evil could be referring to is is our enemy satan the devil and his and his dominions his 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 demons this would be the evil one that's referred to in like matthew 13 19 it says the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart right there's there's this 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 uh this evil evil one it's referred to by many names in scripture the devil satan the slanderer the adversary the opponent the tester the tempter lucifer the morning star the accusers all these different names for this persona of evil and his whole role right we don't know a lot about him but there's a few things that we know about him right when we realize that he is a real adversary as in like first peter five eight where it tells us to be sober-minded and watchful right because our adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour someone. I think the greatest thing that that we can do to lose this battle against evil is to is to pretend like evil doesn't exist. And I think by, by by overwhelming majority like that's what our culture has done. You know? We we've just said, well, all the evil in the world is really just just people and them making selfish choices. But yet we don't want to acknowledge that there's a source for that evil. And I think there's nothing greater that our enemy would have us believe, even within the church walls, is that he doesn't exist. Because when we, don't, when we don't think that he exists, then there's really no need for us to ask God to deliver us from him. Right? There's times that the enemy is going to test us, tempt us to do things. If he doesn't exist, then why do we need to pray? Why do we need to ask God to deliver us from him? So that's a second, that's a second option that's given out a lot of times third option that that is given out uh of, of what this evil is, is is just the world that we live in the evil of the world around us as in galatians chapter 1 verse 4 where it says uh who gave himself for our sins and to deliver us from the present evil age right there's just a there's a there's an evil just within our world within our culture our world is is a corrupting defiling enslaving discouraging hateful very pain filled place, right? I don't think we have to expend a lot of time convincing ourselves of that. And so maybe it's that. Maybe that is is the the evil it's talking about. And really I think the the picture here is it, it, it probably could be all three of those. Like at the end of the day I think we could look at all three of those options and say that yes, those are all evil things that exist Within, within our world, within our experience. And when we fall into that area, whether it's our unsinful hearts, whether it's a, a tempting by our adversary, or whether it's just the evil of the world around us, in those moments, what do we do? And what Jesus says here is he says that we need to pray. We need to pray. I think it's significant that Jesus puts this part of the prayer at the very end. Right? If you want to say something that you know is going to be important to people, you either put it at the very beginning or the very end. And I think Jesus knew that that as his followers, we were gonna need to know this. Jesus knew that we were gonna need to know how to overcome these areas, these times of testing and temptation and and, and, and times that we fall into sin. And so he puts it right there, kind of last thing in the prayer for us to be reminded of. So how does this relate to prayer then? Right? What is how does it affect my prayer life? I think what's important to remember is that prayer is the power to overcome testing and the cry for deliverance from sin this is something that just kind of like this week i had this aha moment you ever had one of those like you're just kind of reading through something and all of a sudden like the light bulb goes off and you're like i know how did i never see this before right and it's not so much that that prayer is just something that we do but when we're in that moment of testing and temptation prayer is the key for us to overcome those situations and maybe i'm just dense but i just I, i've missed it this whole time as i've as i've read through and said the lord's prayer over and over and over again it never really connected and i was i was listening to a message by another pastor and, and he referred to uh to a story that jesus tells in mark chapter 9 in mark chapter 9 jesus sends his disciples out to go uh to go um to go take out some evil spirits right um and to cleanse to cleanse people from evil spirits and to do some things and they come back right and 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 they say jesus we weren't able to do that right and so jesus goes and he and he heals this boy right he removes the evil spirits and then and then later on jesus privately meets up with the disciples and this is in mark chapter 9 verse 28 he says this and and when he had entered the house his disciples asked him privately why could we not cast it out and he said to them this this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, you know I've read this story several, several times uh, in the Gospels, and it never clicked that there's something about prayer. When we're going through certain temptations, or we're going through certain tests, or we're going through certain sins in our life. There's something about prayer that can only there are those temptations that can only be overcome through prayer. And I wonder if that's why we're losing the battle so many times in our lives, right? Because I think. I think that, that what we do um, so many times in, in church culture, uh, as Christians, is we just say, okay, I got this sin in my life, I got this temptation in my life, so what can I do to keep so we come up with accountability, and we try to get all the people we know to hold us accountable. And, and we try to, like, white-knuckle this thing, and we try just not to put ourselves in those situations. And we try to be really, really smart in, in where we go and what we do, and we try not to put ourselves in any of those, those places. And those are all good things. Those are all biblical things. Those are all things that we should be doing. But if we don't at the same time trust that it's the power of God to overcome those things in our life, we're never going to see the victory that we need to see. See, prayer is the prayer is the key. I think that's what Jesus is is one of His disciples to to get. Prayer prayer means that we, as God's children, we're asking our Father for protection for those areas of those times of temptation and struggle and testing, and we're also asking Him for deliverance in those times that we fall into that. And prayer is the is the key for that. And so I think prayer becomes this powerful way as children of God that we ask our loving Heavenly Father to protect us and provide for us and deliver us in those times. And it's amazing that we don't do that more. Like, it's amazing that I don't do that more. I, you know, I think about my life and I think about when, I, when I'm when i in a season of, 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 of either testing or, or a sin that I'm struggling with in my life. And it's like, it's amazing that the first place I don't go is prayer. Right? We have access to our Heavenly Father and yet we don't, go to him and when we have the opportunity to. And I wonder why that is. I wonder why that. I mean why why do you think? Why why do you think that we don't go to God the minute that we that we're tested or the minute that we fall into a sin. What do you guys think? Shame.
0: Shame, shame what?
1: We think we can have
2: it. We think we got it. Okay, we got it on our own. There's shame with it, right? So we kind of we don't want to have to be like that—that that dog with the tail tucked between his legs, you know, going and 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 repenting of that, right? So there's kind of that shame with that. Okay, yeah, we don't want—we really don't want to like give it over to him, right? Like, like, like we think that somehow, like, we can handle it. We got this. We can, we can somehow do enough or or say something the right way that we we kind of have it on our own, right? And I think part of it is. We truly don't believe that as our, as our Father that He really will give us what we ask, or that he's good or that he loves us. You know I'm reminded, I'm reminded and this is kind of as we wrap up today I'm reminded in, in Matthew chapter seven uh, verses seven through 11, Jesus talks about our availability to go and ask things of the Father. I just want to read this to you. Let's listen to this very carefully. Starting verse seven. Jesus says, "Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will not give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children." <clears throat> How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Just think about that, right? I don't think there's nothing that would give our Heavenly Father more pleasure than to be able to deliver us out of a situation that we're struggling with. There's nothing that's going to that's gonna warm the heart of our Father more than when we're struggling and we're going through something, right? That we go to our Heavenly Father. And then we can trust Him. Right? Because because I'm not, I'm not by far a perfect father example. I, I, I fail more probably than I get it right. Well, one thing I know is that when my kids are in trouble, like, I jump into dad mode and there's like nothing that will stop me right? if my kids are really in danger, right? I, I was thinking this week about, there was a, a several years ago when we, when we lived at our, our last house, uh, one summer we got one of these inflatable pools, uh, one of these giant inflatable pools and we, we filled it up with water for the kids to play for the summer. Uh, by the way, those things are awful ideas. They're just like turns into like a frog pond. Like it's it was disgusting by the end of the summer. But we got one of them. We're like, this is gonna be great. And we had that. And I remember one day we were out there playing, and, and the kids were outside playing. And all of a sudden, I look down the driveway, and I and I see this 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 long snake coming down the driveway. Um, and and one of the things that you you probably know about me by by now is that I hate. I have a hate for snakes like there's no convincing me that there's such thing as a good snake like I've heard stories that they eat all these others whatever I don't like eradicate them I will deal with the bugs and the rats or whatever else it is that's that's going to come right I can't and, and I've inherited this hate for snakes um from my mom like my mom is is like probably put this fear of snakes in me and I'm seeking counseling it'll be all right um but but I hate snakes right I don't even like to go near them like like, I'm the guy that, that if I'm driving and I see a snake, I will swerve to the other lane to make sure that I hit it and back up a couple of times just to make sure that it's gone. Like, I hate snakes. But I remember there was this this moment when, when I saw the snake coming down the driveway and, and and my kids were out there playing and I was in the pool and, and I see this snake. And, and for whatever reason, this is the middle of the summer, but I had a snow shovel sitting beside the house. <laughs> I don't really know why. Um, maybe that just tells you I was put it up from the winter I don't know. But I grabbed the snow shovel, right? And as as afraid as I was, I just ran out. First thing I knew knew I could do, and I just, I eliminated this thing, right? Um, I eliminated, like, I overcame the enemy in that moment, right? Uh, Why? Was it because I had somehow, like, loved snakes in that moment? Of course not. It was because my kids were in danger, right? And they were screaming. And and there's just this paternal thing that just kind of rose up in me that said, come and kill and protect your children, Right. Um, and I think it's the same way with our Father. Like, if, if we desperately cry out to our Father to deliver us, to protect us in those temptation moments in our life, to, to deliver us when we're falling into sin, do you not think that our good Father will want to do that for us? Right? But yet, why do we so often not do that? Why do we so often not do that? And so that's, I think that's really where, where the rubber meets the road is that in our lives as we struggle uh, as we as we're challenged as there's different sins that, that come up in our life right do we just fall into that temptation of saying you know what I'm good I can do this on my own I got it or are we going to put our trust in our in our father to deliver us and to protect us and to care for us and, and to deliver us ultimately from that situation so here's kind of how, how I'd like us to wrap up today um, here's how I'd like us to wrap up um There's, there's several different people in this room. And, and I, think, I think it would be unwise to assume that there's probably no one struggling with a sin right now or, or something they're currently being tested by in their life. Um, there's probably something we could all think of that's, that's a current struggle, whether it's pride or, or sexual temptation or anger or, or something. There's probably an area that we're all struggling with. So what I want us to do as we kind of wrap up today is I want us to take some time and I just want us to, to one, just to identify like what that sin is that we're currently in need of, of desperate deliverance from. Um, see, when I, one of the things that I've learned, is, is as I was telling you guys earlier, is I, as I talk with these guys that are struggling with, with pornography, one of the first things we talk about is just, is just the importance of just admitting what that sin is in your life. Right? And I think what we do a lot of times in, in, in our life is like we just don't admit that we have that sin in our life. We don't, we don't want to admit that we're really struggling with that, with that pride or that anger or whatever that thing is that's going on in there. So I want us to start there. I want us just to, to, to either write down or just in our minds as, as we're thinking through, like what is it that I'm currently struggling with right now? What is, that? is there a sin? Is there, is there something I'm being tested uh, in? Or is there something I'm being tempted by? Um, right now in my life or is there something that I've just kind of given into already? What is that thing? And once you've spent some time identifying what that is in your life, I want us to take the really practical step of doing what we talked about. And I just want us to spend some time in prayer asking that the Father would rescue us from that. whatever that is, whatever that thing is that we're struggling with, just, just practically just asking that God would, would, would deliver us from that and He would give us the victory through him in that part of our life and so i want us to take a couple minutes and and to think through that uh and then and then we'll we'll finish up with one more song here at the end but let's take a few minutes um talk through that and then we'll come back together